Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. To the show, everybody. Thank you and so lie. much for joining us. Uh, we this is the uh, uh, the movies we like film board, and we are here to discuss uh, the. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, heard of it yet. Uh, it's the uh, the Born Legacy new movie just came out. We're pretty excited about it, uh, as far as I know. And we're going to confirm that with the uh, lovely and talented Steve Sarmento. Steve, thank you so much for being here, my friend. 
Oh, I, I wait. I'm I'm in the wrong podcast. Then. You got to <laughs> what? What? Or Mike? What? Uh, <laughs> on to Mike Evans, Mike. I, I love it. I think it's wonderful. Mike will be speaking quietly this evening, and <laughs> Chad Stoops is here with us again. Wieners are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my favorite role model, uh, uh, Andy Nelson. Andy, hello, sir. Other, otherwise known as number five. Number, number five. five. <laughs> That's right. Nice. And uh, so we are. We're talking about the uh, who's beeping. Is who's that somebody? Somebody have it. It's Chad. It's probably that Chad. It's not me beeping. No. Who's got the tricycle bell? We. Uh, <laughs> so the Born Legacy came. It it came out uh, yesterday. This is the fourth uh, and uh, uh, the fourth film in the Born series. And uh, we have been talking about the Born uh, series leading up to this point. So uh, uh, and, and and Andy and I have been way uh, too obsessed with the whole series. I'm very excited <laughs> about it. And so uh, so now we're, we've decided to bring it to the table. You guys have all seen The Bourne Legacy. Mm -hmm. How'd they do? Who would like to begin? Anybody? I'm going to call on Chad. <laughs> Mostly because he has his mouth full. <laughs> and Chad's a charmer uh, when he and... talks through chewed food. Is that now a tradition that we can only talk to Chad when he's got mouth? A when he's got his food? mouth. That's, That's exactly right. Exactly. Look at him; he's taking another bite. He's gone to about seven frames per second. So I. That's not. I have. All right, Chad. What do you th What do you think of the movie? Seriously, what? How did okay. How did it hit you? You've been You've already been making fun of the blue pill and the green pill. Did you? Are you? Are you? You really think this? Uh, well, this part, partly. Okay. Fun? Can I just can I can I peek, can I begin like this? Can I just want to say one thing that I really enjoyed about the movie before we go into it. Okay. And this is serious. I really wish that they had more of this in other movies. I wish they had more awkward scientist fights. <laughs> <laughs> That was the first I'd ever seen, and it was so brilliantly done. I remember you have the awkward scientist going with the gun who holds it like he's holding it with his left hand, and then guys who, like, have moved their arms and legs like that maybe for the first time in their lives, and they're running around. It looks like a Gary Larson. <laughs> and everybody's getting shot, and no one can save them. It's fantastic. The suspense was killing me. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen. To, these you, to be to be clear, move. you are talking about the horrific shooting in the laboratory, <laughs> comparing it to a Gary was, Larson cartoon, right? It was awesome. It was the best part of the movie. You, the this is what happens on the other side of the gifted and talented door, you know, the cartoon. Like if only if he could actually open that door. <laughs> Terrible surprise. But because you've got all the guys that actually know anything about guns or, or how to save people on the other side. Wanting to get in on it, and they can't. And it's 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 fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you all you all agree with me, don't you? You remember this part, right? Mm -hmm. It was just it was it was it was it was great because you saw them trying to walk and run at the same time. They're trying to move their arms and run and move, and they're scientists. They don't do any of that, <laughs> you know. And it was just so great. And yeah, anyway, and that was the best. And part that's the movie. best part. Yeah, let's. So, so there's who, nothing else to be said. Wow. I, mean, I think that's it. That just sums it up, and we, we're, we're done. That's awkward scientist fights. All right, so I'm well, keeping a whiteboard over here. It, okay, uh, am I wrong in saying this movie is about a guy 
going after some drugs. Is that what the movie's about? <laughs> you know, it? okay, to be to, to absolutely. I that was that was actually our problem when it was as we were talking about the film earlier today, which That's was right. this the, the movie ends up being uh vastly more simple than the uh than the uh, the first three movies and I I I think why are you looking at like like that, Mike? Well, you Did see, you just have a stroke? Well, I, <laughs> it's like are you are you talking about just the just the movie like just the action scenes and the, and I need drugs and uh you know the little scenes between the guys because you know if you look at what actually what they kind of opened up and I, and I think there's there has to be more movies that they're going to make for this to kind of close up this uh storyline I think Jeremy uh, because, Renner hopes so well yeah of course but but I mean it kind of opened up uh, like so much more of all the other little projects they got going on it kind of opened everything else up it was it was more I thought it was bigger in scope than than the other than the born stuff than you the other movie bigger in scope okay not like not the movie itself but kind of what it addressed because it had so much of the what third movie in it so this movie was kind of going on same time as the third movie right and so you were kind of and I just happened you know, I took a, <clears throat> I took a cue from one of your posts, which was, you know, you need to watch all the first three movies all together, which I did, and right before I went to go see Born Legacy. So literally, I saw all four movies, like within a nine-hour, ten-hour period, and it, it was it was like one big movie, and the four, and the fourth one kind of fit right into it. I mean, it kind of opened it up, like, you know, it's not that just was brilliant, Stone. right? That was yeah. I, I thought that was a, a, a wonderful first act. I thought that was a great way to, to, to get the to get you back into the movie. And especially right. for those who haven't seen the movie in a long time. I thought yeah. that was a really elegant way to, to illustrate what's going on in, in the politics of it. Well it, it really set up the sort of the stakes of what was going on in this story because we see you know, his whole world is 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 disintegrating. They're they're eliminating that program and they use that great opportunity to leverage the Bourne ultimatum to set up why, why are we going to take all this away from him? Why are we going to put his world in jeopardy? Well, it's something you're already familiar with. Right. So that was something that I found really interesting. I mean, I, I looked at this movie as sort of an origin story. We've got this new character. What is his world? What are the stakes? And, you know, the blue and green pills, that whole quest was it set up what his vulnerabilities were and his quest to sort of remove those so that he can be sort of this complete whole person. Where does it go from there? Do they do another movie? I, you know, I don't know, most likely, but I found it sort of like, let's look at an origin story for this person, and we just happen to have the inciting incidents be this sort of events in this other story that we're already familiar with if you've been watching the Bourne movies, which I thought was a, a nice approach. So it was something that... I was, I had seen in the trailers, you know, some of these pieces, and I thought, okay, how are they tying these two films together? And I thought that was a really interesting part because there wasn't a whole lot going on with him. He's in Alaska. He's doing this sort of little penance through this little scavenger hunt, you know. But while that's going on, we're seeing all the fallout happening from what Jason Bourne has done. I thought, okay, once he gets going he's going to be entering a world where, you know, it's falling apart. I thought, what a great way to introduce this character. His, his world is crumbling beneath his feet as he, as he gets you well, know, into the real world. And, and I like the fact that, to a certain extent, he, it, this, didn't, this wasn't a, okay, we couldn't afford Matt Damon anymore, so let's go ahead and try to, try to you know, redo this with a different lead character, right? It, it, it was very well, in my, my opinion, thought out about how they're going to, you know, they didn't just chuck Jordan, 
born in, into the trash can and ignore them anymore. You know, it, it was right. all part of the same story. We just have to be focusing on this little piece of it now, and, and which you know. So there's like three programs now, four now, five now, right. six of them. You know, it's like. So well, I think if anything, of, we've learned that there is always another program. Yeah. And the names get progressively worse. Where it's, it's yeah. and it's just now it's just a, a random yeah. string of, of right. letters together, and we're just going to throw them out. Yeah. yeah. And now it's another. I want to see. I want to see what the Emerald Lake start adding uh, people are doing. At the end of the mall. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you I, know, I, I hear start. that's where they actually infused uh, Wolverine with his adamantium oh, right. shell. Right. Emerald Lake. Right. And Emerald Lake. So now we have some cross pollination of the universes. No, no, no. It's, right. it's 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 they're, they're tying into the uh, you know the Wizard of Oz, Emerald Lake. <laughs> yes. Oh, Emerald Lake is is wisely. That widely wow. known as as where uh, you know the Emerald City was subsumed by the seas, and uh, it was the original. So Ed, uh, Edward Norton's character's code name is Wizard. Yes, right. <laughs> so you see, there is there is this. I like the idea of this as an origin story. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. That was you know that was the interesting thing, and I I actually uh, uh, made the comment that I you know I think there's there's a I mean, were there any other agents that, that you ended up seeing, you know, being sort of kindly assassinated that you might like to see another movie about? I mean, that that's sort of what they end up setting up is here's here's a way for us. It, it's an interesting way to take on the franchise question. And I think that's really what this movie allows them to ask is, is there enough to the series to allow us to franchise uh, now a set of characters if Jeremy Renner is not the only one uh, and I hope we see more of him uh, out there but but is there a way to do this in, in a way that lets you uh, you know be more interested in the political intrigue uh, in in light or you know infused with the action uh, instead of just or beyond just the guy trying to get his memory back is there enough story beyond the amnesia well I think I, I think what you were um... I think that is a very interesting idea, and the idea of being able to take any of these these operatives and and enter this world of you know Treadstone, uh, Blackbriar, all of these different programs. You could find ways to tell the political story through any of the agents, and honestly, you could go through. <laughs> this sometimes, is the best part. sometimes any of the, Andy's points aren't any that of the good. Films. I'm really Am I back? Me. Yeah, you now say? you're back. So, so start do that now. Do that thing again because we like it. So, well, how much did you hear? To go back through and and you could do this start with any of the films. You could <laughs> you could go back through any of the films and do this with any of the operatives from them. You could go back to the Born Identity. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. That's awesome. Can I finish? <laughs> okay. Can I finish for you? You no, could go Clive back Owen. to the identity. <laughs> you could do a, Andy, you could do a story with Clive Owen. You know what? That's uh, he's. You know he's on my list of best friends I've never met yet. <laughs> so we could you, we could easily go back and do a story with Clive Owen, and we could see because he started you know in Treadstone back at the beginning with with uh, as the Jason Bourne, and we could see his story. We could like we were saying earlier this morning, we could go follow the Asian lady, you know the um, the one who gets killed, who is in uh, um, the whatever the program that uh, Aaron Cross is in. Oh, so, 
outcome, yeah. So you could follow any of those people, and it'd be very interesting, or follow more of Jeremy Renner. Regardless, I think the overall story of the government and this NARG or whatever the corporate, um, the company that's controlling all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't make like it didn't happen. Um, pretend like the way that mm-hmm. there we go. Mm-hmm. The way the, yeah. the, <laughs> I totally yes. Yeah, everything and you said. That's there. why I president of the United States. <laughs> you see your point. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I I think that is a I, that that I think is the question. To, to that that's the franchise question. Is there enough story in this to to actually carry that? Okay. And I I think there probably is, but the you know is it you know Jeremy Renner ends up being the the kind of bridge character to to get us over there. What do you guys think of Hawkeye? Did he carry the film well enough? Did you like watching him? Yes. Well, yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I like watching him. I just think that he was. He's like the other, I mean, he's a really, you know, I think kind of like how Jason Bourne was. They're just really nice guys. You know, they're always nice guys. They're always nice. They're always, um, I mean, Jason Bourne was a nice guy, down-to-earth guy, and had all his abilities. I just, I guess I don't understand, because Jason Bourne's character, you, he comes from a place where he doesn't know who he is. So he's just a guy. But then this guy, Jeremy Renner, has been like through, and I, I see, I didn't follow that in the beginning. Like, he, they obviously got him from something, and he didn't come across very, you know, his character, I guess, was sort of coming from a place where he wasn't even secure with who he was, or he has some sort of background like that. And then he put his thrust into this program, but I didn't, I guess, he did a good job with the fight sequences. <coughs> I feel like he was, um, there was enough script for him, or there was enough story. <coughs> Um, you know, there's, it's a simple story, but I don't, I don't know, like the Jason Bourne series was, was, you know, made sense to me. I watched it last night, the first one, and even all the things where you get people lost, you know, like how do they find him and where is he, you know, when he gets lost in a, in a shuffle, this is like, seems impossible. He gets lost in, in a huge crowd of people and he's always found by the police. And I like, you know, it just sounds, it just, it doesn't suspend my belief uh, it it doesn't carry me along like that. I had to really suspend a lot of disbelief that, for this movie for me. I couldn't, I didn't follow it like that. That you know kept me believing that he had, you know, he could do this or this could possibly happen or whatever. Jason Bourne, however, as he's figuring himself out, you kind of want to know what it is he's figuring out. Whereas Jeremy Reiner, I was trying to figure out why I'm following this guy around. You know, it's cool that he can do all this stuff, but he's just trying to get. To me, it was just about him trying to get the, the drugs. Well, well, it wasn't, it wasn't about his drugs. It was really about his survival. I mean, he's set up in a. They put him in Alaska because. I mean, the impression I get is he was starting to ask too many questions. I mean, obviously he has some doubts, and when he's in the cabin, he's he's asking a lot of questions. And the guy's like, you know, you you ask too many questions. You're too curious. And that, to me, that was setting up. Here's a guy who's involved in a program, and you know, we have the sin eater speech. You know, you know that flashback where it's like, okay. Here's a guy who's asked to do things, and he's not quite comfortable with them. So we see that he's, you know, sent up there, you know, as punishment for not sending in his blood, you know, not going in for his checkups or whatever it is. He's obviously pushing back against this because he's got some perhaps moral objections to what they're doing. Then, mm-hmm. you know, they destroy the system. So he's now, he's not going to have his chems. And, yeah, it's about him getting his drugs, but it's more about I need to survive because if I don't have this, I, I'm done for. So it's... I mean, it's 
to me, the ultimately, you know, it's very high stakes because without that, he, you know, he describes to a certain extent what what's going to happen if, you know, his sort of cognitive capacity disintegrates. That's not a life he wants to live. So he's got to do what he can to survive. And I thought it was a nice arc of, I, I'm pushing against this to sort of get an understanding of what is it that I've really signed on for. Oh my gosh, now that's gone. I just need to do what I can to make sure I stay alive. And it wasn't about you know, some larger mission to benefit the country or he's a patriot for him. It, to me, it was, it was very self-interested. He's got that, you know, when he's there with, with the scientist in the car and he's like, okay, fine. Uh, if you want to walk, fine, because I'm going to just find the next person that comes along to get you because they're going to be able to help me get the answers. And it, it's, he's not as nice a guy as Jason Bourne is. And I think that's what sort of maybe rub people a little bit. He's not, I'm not Matt Damon. I'm not this nice, sweet guy. It's, I'm a guy who just cares right now about making sure that I'm alive at the end of this. I think I think they had to be very careful with that, making sure it was not Jason Bourne and it was not a a basically a drop-in replacement. Like we could not afford Matt Damon, so we found this other hmm. guy. You know, we're the same character but just a different actor. I think they had to do a pretty good job about making it a different character and a different reason. You know, there's like things like uh, you know, Bourne was brainwashed and it doesn't I don't think he was I don't think um, the guys in the second program they seem to be a lot more aware of the fact that they were doing things in a program and you know here you have to take these drugs and they were just a lot more I guess you'd say normal where it seems like the other programs were more wipe the slate slate clean and we're going to make these guys like machines right so you can see like each of the different programs is a different way of doing their thing and and for this uh for this one, I think it was very important that they did not make him seem to be like, you know, Jason Bourne for the first three movies, almost omniscient. I mean, he's like perfect. He does almost everything perfectly, and this guy didn't. And I think it was good that they didn't do that. Well, that's what I liked about the end in this one was, and I know Pete and Andy you said earlier in the podcast, <laughs> we had some issues with the end. What I found was, was nice was, look, he gets shot. I mean, he's still recovering from this whole, like, viraling out thing. He gets shot in the leg. He's nicked in the arm. He's he's on the borderline of consciousness. So yeah, it's I would I actually enjoyed the fact that the sidekick wasn't just baggage to be dragged along. She's the one that actually you know steps up and yeah okay it's a boot to the moped that sends the guy into the column. But I enjoyed the fact that it was we have a character who's vulnerable. Jason Bourne. It's like yeah he's untouchable. You know as as Mike said he he doesn't make mistakes. Here is, I'm shot, and I'm about to pass out, and if I didn't have this woman with me, I'd be toast. And I thought that was a nice change because it, it really showed the dependence that they're. I'm hoping they're setting up between the two, that he really needs her as much as she needed him to help her survive this. So I I was, I was enjoyed that ending because I maybe it's because I've got two daughters that I enjoy seeing female characters that, that have strength, that, that are assertive, that can take charge of a situation and aren't just sort of the baggage that gets dragged along because we need to have, you know, something for a female actress to do. Well, but, uh, but wouldn't you agree, agree that... Agree to disagree. <laughs> I prefer the baggage. No, of course, of course you're... I, I, of course that makes sense. But, you know, here's the problem, and this is... Maybe I didn't, I didn't say this, but I'm sorry to interrupt you, Andy. I just... I, I feel like the, the challenge is that I've been set up, my expectation has been set around this guy who can do anything. And I love the idea of that program. I love the idea that that program exists to create these guys who can 
figure something out. Like the novelty of the character is that they figure something out. They're this incredible sort of Swiss Army knife of abilities, and I, right. I want to see that unfurl yeah. when the stakes are the highest. And that was my problem with the motor. First of all, I thought the motorcycle chase was was weak, but the the climax of the motorcycle chase, I I, I you know my expectation was that this character is going to whip out his bottle opener uh, and have that be his next trick, and and I didn't get that. And so you know I would say to your point, had maybe this been the first movie of the series. And maybe that's what I have to reset is mm -hmm. is that this is the first movie of the next generation of that series. And maybe this is the kind of vulnerability that comes with the outcome agents and the government is creating a new, kinder, gentler super system. But I, I, there is something well, to be said though for a for a, a protagonist who doesn't resolve the final conflict in a film though. And I mean it's exactly what you said last time about Dark Knight Rises. Right. It's when your protagonist, who is the one who is the character in the story who is mm -hmm. the primary focus trying okay. to resolve the conflict in the story when they are end up being the one who doesn't resolve that conflict at the end it does deflate that a little bit and I, I totally yeah, agree okay. I'm, I'm very yeah. happy with with the fact that they had Rachel uh, doing the little stunts that she did but if they had moved those elements of her smacking the guy with her helmet and then kicking his motorbike, if they had taken those... Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. That was the point elements I was trying her. to make. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Everything you were saying well, right now, can I, yes. Andy, can I piggyback <laughs> on what you just said? <laughs> Here's what I think about the woman. I think I, think I can see both sides of this. It was if that had not been the only agent, or if that had been somebody else, like one of the cops, and she had done that to the okay. cop. Okay, all right, I'll give you that. I think yeah. I think her doing that and kicking off somebody, and there have been other people that Jason had to fight to get his to to overcome his obstacle. For me, I think that would have been a more satisfying thing. It was cool seeing her do that. I was like, yes, but then that was the end, and I was like, no. And then they find the watch and they give it to the guy, the weird guy in the boat, and that's how they get on. And I'm like, what? I think okay. uh, I think okay. of everything in terms of of yeah. uh, Virtua Fighter 3D, and uh, this was this was <laughs> this was very much a boss battle, right? I mean, this was the, this was the well, was it was it really? Yeah, it was it, it was it was the boss battle really? This I mean, because if you, yes. if you look at you look at Oh, yeah. come on. Well, well, that's the point. Was, they the, set it up his, that What was way. his goal? What was his objective? It was to get off object? his meds. His goal was to get off his meds. His objective was to run from the crazy Asian assassin. No, it assassin. wasn't. No, Andy, what he, once about? he got off his meds, that his arc was complete. <laughs> Who is it that they're after? They're after her. Her whole story is, holy crap, this government agency is trying to eliminate me. That's her story arc. She resolves that. He they resolves needed him dead, arc. too. They needed him dead. Just because he yes, didn't know, yeah, just because yeah. he didn't know they wanted him dead. Well, they knew he wanted him dead. They spent right. fifteen minutes yes. trying to kill him in the old oh, house. I know. The, yeah. the, the, wait, the wait. Problem... They tried to kill who in the old house? They tried to kill her in the old, in the house. old house. Right, they and him because her. he was. Uh, they didn't even know he was there yet. They well, they certainly found alive. out. They found out, but at that point, he's an unknown entity. And they then, think she's doing this. And on then her Edward own. Norton puts on his big boy pants and says, "I need all the support staff to clear the room." Yes, exactly. That's. When they're on the plane, they realize, holy shit, this is a big yes. problem. We've now got Aaron Cross in the yes. game. We need right. to pull, oh, hey, what about what about Larks? We need to bring in this deus ex machina to clean it up, right? The okay. Boss. 
yeah, that's the boss. You know, and I think Andy said in the podcast this morning that boss, he wasn't a boss. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. No, he was a whippy boss. Here's what I have to say. Here's what I have to say. If if the sidekick can take out the boss. He's not the boss. Exactly. He's the sidekick boss. <laughs> so who was the boss? The guy, Jason the boy, Morton. boat driver. And that's Morton why we have a single. Yeah. Yes. The boat driver is secretly the boss. If, the if boat driver is actually the a, kid. It's a great Morton's setup. If on a motorcycle, he wouldn't have gotten kicked into no pole. Kicked into no pole. I like that. No, he wouldn't. <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. That Lark's program sucks. <laughs> he needed to go back to the drawing board. Seriously, he really should have sent in the Emerald Lake agents. Right, that that would have been, it. Would all would have been done. They would have taken the plane out. The whole city. That's okay. right. <laughs> okay, I I want to uh, I want to hear how you guys thought of the because this was this was the brothers Gilroy who did this movie, right? We had Tony Gilroy and Dan Gilroy and and uh, uh, what's his name. Uh, is it John who the who edited? John Gilroy, yeah, Jimmy, John Jimmy, Jimmy Bob uh, Gilroy, John Gilroy Jimmy edited Bob. the movie and 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 took the, took the visuals of this film in a new direction. I think that's a great opportunity to bring up our our new favorite uh, film gestalt, Chaos Cinema. Andy, I would first uh, appreciate it if you could introduce Chaos Sim- Cinema. I don't think I should. <laughs> and then I'm ex- I'm really excited because I know how excited Steve is to talk about it because it's the new thing I- that he's. I'm happy to try. I'm sure I'll only make it through about a third of the, the conversation about it. <laughs> so. I mean, this would be a great time for your for your for your uh, wireless to lock up again. Just stop I, right there. I, I, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, so so chaos cinema for those of you who are tuning in is is the whole notion or or definition or theory or whatever you want to term it uh, of using a camera style that's very shaky, like the shaky cam, the editing style is a very fast cut, the the it's very hard to tell the geography within the scene. Somebody falling over? <laughs> Sorry, I was I was getting my notes out, my prepared remote. Right here, right here. <laughs> so so it's using this style to uh in film to um to enhance and excite an action scene. Um, what it does, though, is it means that the viewers can't really tell where they are in context of the of the location. Um, but in an action film, it is very exciting. And, um, and so that's, I guess, the long and the short of it. But as we said earlier, Pete, this film really does not uh, use the chaos cinema idea so much as it does more just, I guess, the intensified continuity. Well, and and I think I, I I think if I can add to it, I and I don't know, Steve. I'm I am I can't wait to be for you to 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 have your platform. But I think the the problem, the challenge that we have is is that we are calling it something new. Uh, we're calling it this chaos cinema. That this was sort of a made up kind of a term to to uh, to encapsulate this. Uh, sort of style of film, uh, it, or or calling it a style of film in the first place. That that's right. uh, you know that, that we have this that, that we're sort of manufacturing a new uh, a new genre of film. And, right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't take issue with his description of what he's calling chaos cinema. I mean, I think yes, we have you know you can see examples of the faster editing, the shaky cam, and I love that. And yeah, that that is occurring. <clears throat> what I take issue with is when he calls it sloppy. 
or lazy or is saying that it's like this new this new some I mean it's it's a new I I think of it as a film vocabulary is what I really what it comes down to is given the tools and the technology that filmmakers have they now have a different way to express the the frenetic action that happens in an action film uh, you know like I said in an email I sent you guys you know if Alfred Hitchcock had had like the little red digital camera I think movies like North by Northwest would have looked very different the technology at the time of these classic films you know we're talking huge cameras where you can't you know you've got one or two cameras you set them up and you know we're in that transition from the theater to cinema where it, the audience is used to we're gonna sit back and watch this tableau sort of play out before us and the cameras could capture that. Now the cameras have gotten smaller. The technology for editing has allowed them to make those faster cuts. And, and that's a transition. It's a new vocabulary that filmmakers have for telling their stories. I don't have a problem with that. I, I, you know, sometimes it's done very well. Sometimes it's done very poorly. I take issue with the fact that he says it's sloppy or lazy. To me, it's an, it's an insult you know, to not only Michael Bay, but the crew on his films. The amount of time they spend setting up those shots to say, oh, this is lazy or sloppy filmmaking, I take issue with. I blame the writers. I think if you use those tools that, if, if somebody else shot Michael Bay's films, you know, Transformers and all those, I think they'd still be bad films. I don't think it's the chaos cinema that makes them bad films. I think ultimately it's the scripts that make them bad films. Does it add to the confusion? Does it add to, you know, this being able to set them aside as, Lesser cinema, perhaps, I know, but I think time will tell, you know, how this new style holds up. An example that I give is, you know, Faulkner and, and Mark Twain, they, you know, and James Joyce, they took the novel in a new direction. You have these long sentences, you know, for James Joyce and for William Faulkner, long rambling sentences that were new to audiences. Did they struggle with them? Yes. But now we celebrate them as great works of literature. Mark Twain capturing that Southern dialect in the dialogue was something new. Is it difficult? Did people have to struggle with to understand what people were saying? Yes. But we didn't say, oh, he was a lazy writer. He's a sloppy writer. So that that's mostly my issue. I think it's great tools. I think it's, it's something that we're trying to figure out how it works well in cinema. But what I find interesting is he's, he's picked on that. You know, it's like, oh, look, here's this. And I think, Pete, uh, in one of the previous podcasts, you talked about uh, the Hurt Locker and the, the excessive slow motion that we're getting. How come we're not going back to talk about bullet time? And the oh, Wachowski no, brothers? you don't get to have I, That was the thing I was going to say. No, because I'm in your <laughs> no, head. That's you why. Yeah. Because, okay, how come we're going to pick on KS Cinema and say, oh, but we didn't say that, oh, bullet time created a new type of storytelling where we have this ultimate slowed down action. I just, speaking of trailers, before the film, I saw a trailer for, for the new Judge Dredd film where the drug wow. allows them to perceive time at 1%. So we're going in the opposite direction of where things are really slowed down. Now, is, is Mr. You know, uh, Stork going to write a little essay about you know, the lazy and sloppy filmmaking of the extremely slowed down cinematography? I, I don't know. Okay. Well, you're <laughs> right. I mean, here's the thing. Any, any tool that a filmmaker can use can get used sloppily, right. uh, just like any tool, you know, for any anything, uh, you know, photography, painting, whatever it is, um, playing an instrument, it can be done sloppily, and the, these tools can be done sloppily, and I, I mean, I do think some of the examples he brought up, and, uh, you know, I, I agree and I disagree about 
Exactly. Boring Thank conversation you, anyway. <laughs> the quality of the Boring. film. But what I was saying, <laughs> there, there's definitely some bad films in there. But yeah. just because all of the people working on the set and putting a lot of energy and hard work into, into making the movie, just because they put that energy in does not make it not sloppy. And I'm not, bl- I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm not saying it's the writer's fault either. It's, it's specific choices that the director yeah. and his... Mm. I'm just going to finish what he says. <laughs> but he clad pajamas. The director and his and uh, and his team and the style they want to shoot it in, they they can choose to make it. They can really think about it and come up with a really unique way to do it, or they can just kind of you know go at it the same old way. And we all know people have done that before. We've seen plenty of movies that have been done. And we, it's just, it's not that great because they're using the same tools in ways that aren't very exciting. And, and that does speak yeah. of sloppy cinema, regardless of how hard the people on the set worked to do it. Okay. I've worked on plenty of sets with people who are in complete disagreement with everything the director is doing, but they're doing their job. They're getting paid to do right. it. They don't care. You know, they're not the one. They, they always say, hey, I'm not the one who's, whose name's up there as the director, so I don't care. I'm getting my paycheck. Okay. Well, you, you know, I think we can, I think it's, okay, Mike, go ahead. I, I know you've been. Mm. I just, I just want to say one thing from a viewer standpoint only, not from anybody who, you know, knows how it's put together. Some of the time, and I, I'm guilty of it, some of the time it looks, it looks unplanned. It looks a little, it looks a little like, uh, you know, the shot wasn't planned. <laughs> No, I can't finish what I was going to say. I'm sorry, what? It, it, lo- it, it, looks, it looks a little bit like it's unplanned. And, and like, oh, we, hey, we'll just cut it together and make it look good. Instead of, you know, you know like the, if you have to set up the shot, you know, and, and you have these, these shots that the camera is rolling and it's not cut the whole time. And they have to, you know, take the stories about how this takes so much logistics to get these shots done. And... And they look, or you can see it. You can see all the effort that goes into it. And I don't think when you when you have things like shaking around like crazy, and you can do digital editing on a Macintosh to to, to splice it all together into a movie, it looks that way. But you know, a great, not not denigrating that it might take a lot of work going into it. But I think that's the impression it gives sometimes. Well, I think it's. I think we have to get back, particularly in the context of the Bourne series. We have to get back to what the Bourne series does well. In, in, in terms of the stylistic choices of the editor and the, the cinematographer and, and the, the presence of the camera in the action scenes and how that progression builds through the first three movies. And Paul Greengrass, who, it, it, you know, tends to be a rather frenetic uh, kind of visionary in terms of, of his. And, I you know, I, I don't like those movies as, as much visually. I find it hard to get through. But the style challenges the visual pre, uh, you know, preconceptions of what the movie is supposed to do. And it uses those, those tools and the quick cutting and the, and the, uh, the shaking cam to increase the intensity of the, uh, of, of the visual and ideally to move the story forward by, by you know, creating the, the overall sort of emotional um, tableau of, of the Bourne films. And this movie... Born Legacy changes that. Yeah. Right? That was changed. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I agree. I'd say Paul Greengrass probably to a fault takes the idea of form follows content. You know, that idea of like, if, the, if, if this is a chaotic thing, then my filmmaking is going to be sort of chaotic and frenetic and disorienting. That's the, 
the idea behind chaos. I mean, I made it, you know, an intentional effort as I was watching this to sort of pay attention to the camera work, knowing that that had been sort of a theme, you know, through the progression of the Bourne films. And I did notice, you know, that there were some shots that seemed to be a little bit of the the handheld and the camera following mm-hmm. on. Not not as much, but it it did. I would say probably it went back to Bourne identity, sort of Doug Doug Lyman, sort of that style where I wasn't completely disoriented, but it still brought me in. So it, it's that sort of enhanced or intensified continuity piece of this where it, it kept it there. And I think, you know, Tony Gilroy did some, made some nice choices in that to keep it as an action film, but to also allow us to have our bearings in a film because this is a case where he's telling a really complicated story. So we really have to be paying attention to what's going on. And if we start to get lost, you know, because of the camera work, we're going to lose the thread of the story. And this was one where there was so much going on, so many threads to keep track of through the first three quarters of this film that the camera work couldn't become a distraction to us. And I think he did a very nice job of balancing that. Totally agree. I, I really, I thought that the, just the motion of the camera was, <laughs> Oh dear. Oh, Chad. I, I thought the, uh, the motion of the camera, I, I thought the, the overall sort of visual, components of the story ended up really being uh, really quite elegant and and uh, you didn't get as many of the just completely random insta rack zoom uh, shots on on you know Jason Bourne's yeah. face you know you didn't get any of that stuff it just doesn't make any sense and and I I, I think the way you put it the the uh, however you put it was really good the form follows you know whatever you, it was good you should you should trade it <laughs> that's it there you go yeah <laughs> What are we saying? I don't even know, Chad and uh, Mike. Uh, how do you guys feel about the chaos cinema theory? You know what? Um, Andy and I actually had an argument about this. That uh, he. Uh, <laughs> That's full on Michael Bay. I, there we go. Appropriate. I felt drawn into what Steve was saying. Hold on. <laughs> so Andy and I had an argument about well a, a disagreement about the fight scenes because I. Uh, you know, so the the movies have been over for a long long time, and if you don't watch them back to back, you kind of you kind of lose all the little details and things. And I had had the impression that the um, what is it the the apartment fight scene between the two agents in the first movie mm-hmm. was very well planned and lots of lots of uh, set. That's not my thing. No, that's that's me. <laughs> Uh, um, lots of set shots and and was finding the and that was something I didn't like about the the uh, supremacy and the ultimatum was the fact that there was a lot more the fight scenes looked like there was just like ADD all the time and we actually watched them back to back and they looked almost exactly the same which uh, <laughs> so I was I was proven completely wrong but but <laughs> but the uh, the fight scenes are the ones that uh, sort of seem to exemplify that the most where. Where they're just shifting back and forth all the time, when you know, elbows and knees and stuff like that, and and it looks sometimes it, you lose track of what's going on, um, but but you know, when you watch them all back to back, they're all basically laid out the same way. Well, I mean, I'm it, really interested, Andy. Do you have, happen to remember off the top of your head what the what the the where where was that guy's website where he did the shot the shot uh, length analysis? 
or off the top Andy, of my head. Andy, are you even are you even here? Anymore? Oh, there you are. <laughs> it was the cinema something. Thing. Uh, yeah, cin- yeah, cinematrics. 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 Yes. I am yeah. very interested in how, I know. I'm very interested in how this this film uh, uh, lines up. I think it, probably the assertion is right. I think it will be you know when we when we look at the graph of of legacy versus identity. I bet legacy comes out even longer. Mm, I think it would come out longer than the last two, but I think it'd probably be on par with Identity. For which the fight scenes? For shot length, just in just sort of length. average shot average, length. Yeah, average shot length okay. over the whole course of the film. I think that's worth a worth five dollars. Unfortunately, uh, until it's out on uh, on uh, on home viewing format, we're not going to be able to find out. I'm going to I'm going to write up five dollars. Andy's going to owe me five dollars. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. He's looking forward to it. You have to replace uh, Andy's voice with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I raised your bet. Here, Chad, you talk. I want to bet you $1,000 of my own money. <laughs> money I put away from my daughter and my son for college. That is not Morgan Freeman. <laughs> oh. I'm going to put away $1,000. No. <laughs> On my visa. On my visa. <laughs> visa. Everywhere you want to be. It, it is unfortunate that Morgan Freeman wasn't in this movie, but I think everybody else pulled their weight pretty well. Uh, what do we? Uh, what? What else stands out to you as a, a as a reason to? I, how does it? So I don't think anybody has really said how does this movie hold up against the last three? Does it? Is it better? Does it move move it forward? Are you excited about number five, or uh, or could you could you be done? Are we talking about number five, the character, or number oh. five, the next movie? I just totally messed you up. You just played with my mind. I did. I did. <laughs> uh, no, I, I. You know, the fifth, uh, the, a next movie. I mean, is this, is this something? Is this a, is this franchisable? Are you, are you ready? I, I just want to say, and I know that I, I, I mean, we're talking about the chaos theory. I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. So I no comment. If I added a comment, I would be lying, because it wouldn't have made any sense. But I can say that watching this film. Uh, it was not. It, I, I mean, you could add another thing onto it and everything. I think if I had watched this film and not watched the other films, I think it would have had something more for me to watch. I think I was expecting more. I think because it was so there was so little going on for me, it just didn't seem like a lot. Uh, it seemed like they were lacking, and I think they didn't give Jeremy Reiner watching him from an actress standpoint. I think he did a great job, but I felt like it was yeah, the character. His character wasn't as rich as the is is Jason Bourne's. Jason Bourne had a lot. To, I mean, Matt Damon's character had a lot he can play with. He's playing a guy that doesn't know and he's trying to figure out who he is. And there's people, just a lot going on. This guy already knows who he is, and he's just got one kind of one mission going on. And so it's sort of it's sort. I think for the people who've already seen the Bourne series, this is a different thing going on. But I think it's hard to go you know, to associate it with the Bourne series because the Bourne series was all about this guy trying to figure out who he was and we were along for that ride. This ride, I didn't know what I was, what ride I was taking other than it's another agent guy. And we'd seen those other agent guys and yeah, I want to know what those guys are like but I think it's hard including Jason. I mean, I felt like at one point when they had filmed all those movies with, with Peter Sellers back in the day for Pink Panther and then he died and then they continued making movies. Now, 
you know, Matt Damon's not dead, but it seemed like that kind of thing where they're throwing in like Peter Sellers is like image around this movie and I understand it's between the two movies but that that kind of made me think like well wow I wish I was following <laughs> Jason Bourne because it seems like he's got something going on and we're still stuck with this guy and it's not Jeremy's fault but that's a really good theory, point like know. if you find yourself when you see uh, Matt Damon or Jason Bourne's picture on the news and you really wish you were back in that storyline you know that they've missed something well, okay so uh, let me let me ask you a question then did they name the movie really incorrectly? I think so. They should have called I mean, this guy Bob the guy with the pill problem. And he knows kung fu. I mean, cuz they I mean it's, it's from that a storyline standpoint, it's right there next to the ultimatum, right? And they and they try and they're tying it in with the new actor, but but you know, except for the title and uh, a wood carving on the underside of a of a bench and and uh, was a dorm bench seat and uh, and a couple of photographs. It had nothing to do with him, with, with Jason Bourne at all. So I think maybe that's why you're expecting to be more Bourne stuff going on, and there's really none. Well, then it's but, called the Bourne Legacy, right? It's, you know, and so you're going into it going ah. I mean, as a guy who, if if I was a guy that did knew nothing about any of the books, right? Or if I just knew about Jason Bourne, I'm coming in going oh the Bourne Legacy. I'm wondering. What this guy forgot about, like <laughs> the legacy is actually amnesia. It's, it's all <laughs> you know. Like, what? You, what is it about? Like, and so when you go in, and you're like, he's carrying on the legacy of Born, but you like, he doesn't even have an. He's just. Not, I mean, I didn't even know his name at the end of the movie. It was five or something. What was his name? James. Aaron. Aaron, Cross. Aaron Cross. Oh, Aaron Cross. Okay, okay, okay. But uh, I, I don't know. It's. I guess that's what. What. What were you guys? I guess you guys said you were following a story about a guy that was trying to escape and get these pills and and try to save her too. But I guess not trying to compare, but like, I, did you not feel at all that you were expecting more layers to the film, or were you just kind of like going in, going, well, I'm just going to separate myself from the other born films, I guess. Well, I think the perpetual danger that they have of continuing a franchise like this is we're following these government spies that are assassins and they kill people and Jason Bourne is a very unique situation because he essentially was a clean slate when we started the, the his trilogy and we learned what evils he had done over the course of the the three films and we saw him come to terms with that and as he as his eyes were opened more it became a darker story as he had to you know, acknowledge the awful things that he had done and be able to move forward from that. But it was a redemption story. Those three movies together, taken together, it, they are his redemption story. Why? Exa exactly. But now we're in this story about a guy who, sure, he feels bad about some of this sin-eating that he's gone and done, but and, and then he's sent off to the wilds of the Yukon to to jump in the lake and 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 have fun in the water and stuff and fight wolves but but all in all it's like he he willingly went into this program he knows what he's done there's not that level of of redemption in this sort of character and that's I Chad I think that's what you're missing from it is he there is nothing for him to redeem you're right I mean he's he's after drugs is is what he's trying to do and he's trying to stay alive because he know this program is collapsing but 
in the end, there's not a big sense of character growth. I mean, yes, he decides he doesn't want to be in the program anymore. Mm. But we all, yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, he writes no yes. more on the same right. time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, yes. No, but okay. So, <laughs> I I want to I want to comment on Chad's point because I think Chad and I are are in in are, are in pretty much agreement on this. I think the first act of the film was very strong, and I really enjoyed the complexity that that having the dual timeline uh, w- that really worked well. And as soon as we got into the meat of the Aaron Cross story, I think it just got very very simple. And and I ex- I expected more out of that character. I'm with Chad. I I think uh, I think Jeremy Renner is great. Uh, and and I enjoyed watching him. I thought he's he conveys uh, a, a sort of a really interesting kind of energy on screen. Uh, he's very charismatic, and um, you know I I think he'd probably like to play pool with me. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I think in terms of the just the the the, the spectrum of uh, kind of his role, it was. Uh, I, I just think the character was poorly executed, and and it was not given sort of enough challenge uh, through the course of the second two acts of the play, there of the of the story. So are you guys, So here's the problem again. The name Born Legacy is the movie, right? And you guys are expecting Aaron Cross's character to play the same exact role that Jason Bourne, uh, that uh, no, the Jason no, Bourne no, character no, play in the no. first movies, that he is the character that the whole movie is centered around, and he carries the whole thing. So it's you guys are like sitting there going, well, he's not doing enough, and he's not really the more tortured soul that we're expecting him to be. He's just a guy getting drugs. Well, but there's so much other stuff going on that they, that okay, so when you watch all the movies together, you realize how, how they play with subtlety throughout the whole series. They drop little, little hints and little things that they don't necessarily explain in that movie. And they were doing that the whole movie, like the whole Emerald Blake stuff and those other beta programs. And, and I thought Edward Norton's character, the, what he was doing, which is conveying to the viewer why they're killing all these people, why they're burning these programs. I, I think he actually, even though he's um, sort of evil in, in a way and sort of a bad guy, you, you almost can kind of understand why they're doing what they're doing. Well, and to your uh, to your point, his his speech, uh, his "I'm a patriot, I bleed red, white, and blue" speech, I thought was terrific, and the right. sin eater speech was terrific. I thought, uh, you know, uh, God, I thought his character was just great. I really yeah. enjoyed that. Like I said, the com- the complexity of the political stuff was fantastic. Which is My- why I think I think they're, you know, you asked earlier if uh, if we're in for like the fifth movie and things like that, but and I think if we consider that uh, the the third character, the the second protagonist, or whatever you want to call it, the other part of the movie that, that is really interesting, which is all the geopolitical stuff and and how the little pieces are moving, and the fact that you know Landy in one movie is the hero, and you know in one movie it's like it's sort of a sort of a villain, then turns out to be a good guy, then is a hero, now is the you know the dupe that got is going to get wrong with all this type of stuff, you know, her, and she didn't do any. I mean, literally, it's just. How it's be, we're be viewing it as the as it goes along is really interesting, and I think the um, super guy who knows how to kill people in very interesting ways may not be the only thing that we have to focus on in in, in these movies going forward. Well, is it possible though, Mike? Do you think this? Because I th- I agree with you on, on a lot of what you're saying. I think that though, and what you're seeing also with the with all that is is cool, but I think that that 
that almost covered up for the fact that there wasn't a solid story about Jeremy Ren, Ren uh, you know, Jeremy Renner, Jeremy Renner, yeah. Aaron Cross, that pulled us into really caring about him. I think that stuff around it was was really cool. Like I, I found myself watching that more than really caring about Jeremy's story because you could have had anybody in there, any one of those guys running around trying to get their their their, their stuff, but the whole. You know, there is a lot of stuff going on. You're right. That's you're like, what is going on? Like, why are they doing that? That's cool. You know, and even um, Edward Norton's speeches and the way he came across, I thought was very excellent. Uh, you know, he, the way he portrayed that character and what he was doing, excellent. I thought the boss guy was was a little was a little weak, but but I think it did. Like, if you were just to look though at, at you know you know as you're watching it as a as a film as a whole, you know, you look at those things and you go, well, that is really great and that is really cool. But then when you go Okay, why is Jeremy? Jeremy is here, but it's not. He's supposed to be the focus. His whole character. He's supposed to have like an arc, and he's supposed to have a reason. And I guess when I was watching Jeremy's thing, and it's not like I. I don't think like what Pete said. I don't really, you know, fault this on Jeremy because I think he did whatever he could with the with the material he had. He was playing that character, but I don't think they gave him a whole lot as far as that. His story where. I was invested with him. I didn't. I didn't care enough about him. I cared. I was interested in the stuff in this, you know, around the picture, and what was going around it. But for, but this is like the story that I didn't care about. I didn't really wasn't concerned with Jeremy Jeremy's character so much. And and I, I I do think it's a writing thing a little bit in there where they they do have these other things that would pull the story along. But they unless they have us hooked on the character, it's kind of. You know, it's more he's more of a tool, and then it's really not about this born guy. It's really more about this other story that they're trying to share. You know, show us. And I, you know, I guess I didn't, I didn't hick onto that either. Well, I, I just saw those things as interesting. And, and I'm wondering if, if you know, their intention. You know, it's it's funny because if if they had done it very very perfectly, if they had written it very very well and done it it with perfect execution, we wouldn't be asking these questions, right? We we would know because we wouldn't have to worry about it. But now I'm wondering if. If you know they gave the the Rachel's um, whatever the doctor's character a lot more involvement than Marie was in the in the first movie, mm -hmm. you know, the first series, right? Yeah. And and so I'm wondering if they if they've done it like a they split the protagonist a little bit where they've made it instead of it being Jason Bourne one one focus one person it's both of them. You know you learn a lot about you know her past and why she's there and she's she's you know several several parts she's the reason that they succeed. And so it, it's, you know, instead of it being, you're expecting it all to be about Aaron Cross, but really it's about, um, not an ensemble, but more than one character is just trying, is the focus of what they're doing. I think, I, I think that's a, a, that's an interesting assessment. I think that's, that's likely, that's likely true. Or the other sort of possibility is that, you know, they just didn't end up loving Aaron Cross as much in the writing process. You know, he sort of felt abandoned a little bit. Like there is yeah. so much intention around the intrigue. And so it, and it just felt like there was less intention around, uh, around his, his part. And, and it's unfortunate because I think, you know, I thought the action itself uh, was orchestrated pretty well. I, I really enjoyed the chase scenes, the running, you know, running and climbing scenes. The you know, uh, I I thought that was great, and I thought one of the real high points, the sort of energetic high points, was when she sort of came to his rescue as the police were kind of converging on their their hotel room, and she screams, "Aaron, run!" You know, I I I was really moved by that. I thought that was a great uh, way to jump into the next major uh, sequence. 
Yeah. Well, Jason Bourne wouldn't have needed that. And I think that's where, like, like in the back of your head, you're like, I, I, I remember thinking that, like, three times during the movie, well, Jason Bourne wouldn't have needed that. Well, Jason Bourne would have, like, you know, MacGyvered him his way out of that not not requiring and he would have thought ahead of that right so it's it's like it's and so i'm wondering if when they're doing the little writing process is if they're writing the guy out and they're like okay this is too much like jason Bourne, and they had to actually like engineer faults into him into his character so that it, it wasn't just a simple yeah this is this movie's jason Bourne. yeah hmm. you know so it's not he's not the super soldier that the jason Bourne was he can't he does need help you know he's just you know, just a guy almost. Yeah, I think I think what you're describing for me, at least, and maybe, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Chad, but I, it, for me, it's this issue of, uh, you know, the expectation was set with Jason Bourne, and, and that's when I went in expecting. I, I, I wanted the action to be on, on par, and the, that expectation means I need that character to be more powerful than, than he ended up being delivered in this film. I'm just so glad that Mike agrees with us now. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> my, you know, my I would like to make the, uh, the cosmic uh, uh, my pleasure. connection. I'm totally that, kidding, Mike. <laughs> in fact, I'm totally kidding. I'm not glad you agree. I'm That's not. a total joke. The I'm actual uh, connection is that, you know, Alex Cross, who we keep confusing Aaron Cross for Alex Cross, is actually a character, a, a criminal psychologist in a series of books and movies uh, played by Morgan Freeman. Morgan oh, oh, oh. <laughs> There you go. Well played, sir. Except for the next one, there's another one called Cross coming well, out, which is actually played by Tyler Perry. That's right. That's right. No one. That's not as Perry. good. <laughs> not be doing a show. On not anything Tyler. like Morgan. Uh, okay. So, so, what is it, the consensus on this uh, film? On this film. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we have a jurist in in uh, Andy. He's just sitting there, kind of writing court, holding court. <laughs> he totally... I, I I'm so paranoid to talk because every time I start talking, it cuts off. Oh, you should have cut off right then. That'd be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been. Go, Andy. Talk. It's a talk quickly. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed the film. It's probably my least favorite of all four. I, I shouldn't say it's probably. It's definitely my least favorite of all four. But the government uh, intrigue I find across all the films to be, for me, the most fascinating element of all of them. And I do hope that they get to continue because I, I thought it was genius how, like Mike was saying earlier, how they took the, the end of Born Ultimatum and where Pamela Landy seemed like she was a victor over the CIA, and they turned that here, and all of a sudden you see how they're setting her up to take the fall. And it was a fascinating twist on that entire story as we got to see how it's really now playing out. And I really am looking forward to seeing where they take that in future films. And and so the big question from the studio, the studio wants to know, is um, number Aaron, five. Aaron... He did it. <laughs> he cut off. I thought he was done, but he cut off. He's like an old man. He just says. No, I, I, I did cut off. I, I, I actually was That's still talking. All right, finish your, finish your thought. No, and then I was going to say, the Aaron Cross element, it actually conveniently stopped right in the, the, my middle, of, the middle of my train of thought. There. Don't waste words. <laughs> you don't have enough of them. Talk while you have a chance. <laughs> uh, the, uh, 
the Aaron Cross element of it, while I enjoyed it, I I wouldn't be upset if they left that behind mm. and moved forward with a different agent back to Jason, whatever it is they do, as long as they continue the story so I can see how the government uh, conspiracy plays out. You know, you know the Alex and Aaron done. Cross. Aaron Cross did a a good role in the. In, if you look at all the movies, you know, in number five, whatever, he did a good idea. He gave us a different viewpoint about because you know we're always focused on Jason Bourne and his his all his life and his world. It was interesting because you went outside and you saw how this program works differently. So, you know, Jason Bourne was waterboarded or whatever, and this this program did the drugs and you know it's it's interesting how each one of them has different little you know attempts to make Torture. the the super yeah so it, it was a different viewpoint uh like i said they were more aware of of their program that they were in so you got to see more of the of the behind the scenes work the again a wizard of oz reference but uh you know you get to see the stuff, more of the stuff behind the curtain but so and i think it, what it did is it set up the next movie very well and it, I don't think it has to be Aaron Cross to be the protagonist. I think we could do something. I don't know who. Well, maybe Edward Norton's the protagonist for the fifth movie. That'd be fantastic, right? It's but, actually the whole next movie is it follows Jelko Ivanic. Uh, <laughs> it's a totally different timeline. Okay, what right. I think they should do is a "Where Are They Now" movie. So after they all leave, you know, one becomes a masseuse and the other one's teaching it's a, school. It's, it's a documentary. <laughs> yeah, but it, it would be Where a short movie. Now? But it'd be a short movie because almost all everyone in the movie gets killed. <laughs> it's right; they all—they're all dead. I mean, they'll be able to find. They'll be able to find them. They can find these guys unless they're on the moon. I mean, I mean they could be. <laughs> it was the old lady in Singapore that ratted him out. You got to—you know—the lady he oh, with the laundry. That's right. totally it. The, the, yeah, she was okay, I have a, yeah, She's horrible. And okay, <laughs> what about the? What about the? I, I did not understand the Asian lady, whatever her name was, that was going. That said, you know, we're getting rid of these yellow or the blue and green pills, and we're gonna give them these yellow pills now. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing you know, you see these other agents die, and then she's dead on the train. And I'm like, is she an agent, or did she just eat one because it looked like candy, or what? No, was no, the... it looked like she... a yeah, Mike and Ike. No. Oh, yeah, two agents. The agent. Yeah. One was the one was the agent. One was the like handler. Handler, yeah. Yeah, but I but she, okay, so she was no. an agent. Yeah. Yeah. She was okay, number. So she was, she was number. number... Two? Three, three. So, she, but I've never. No, seen... no. The guy in the in the snow was number three. She was number one or four, or six. Had you ever? Had they? Have they ever shown like any of the female side of these? Agents? No, and that was that was I think would be really interesting. She was the only one that we saw. Was that? But it was funny she... because you never did. They actually say she was number three. No, number three is the guy in the woods. Oh, okay, how do you know that? Because <laughs> that's how Who's he's listed first? in the credits. Who? Number no. three. Yeah, he's listed in the credits. Then. That's right. That's so we have him fair. listed as number two, number th- or number uh, one, number, number three. But did they say number that in the two movie? is the only one who they don't identify, and yeah. that's why I think it's uh, what's his name, Velko Yovanek or whatever. Okay, but except for it's not, we decided Velko. because he would yeah, have to do his own blood work. But did they ever mention her in the whole, in the movie of her being number whatever number? Right. Right. Well, I just think we're supposed no. to know because she, I, it was she perfectly, had her It was perfectly clear to me that she was the agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that, I, I, it did. It was clear that she was an agent after obviously she took it. But it was totally like a, out of left field for me. <laughs> because she, because she, they're, you're used to seeing child. dudes. Because <laughs> she was an Asian child. 
Could have been like a like a four year old on the bus, and he's got a bloody nose. And we're like, wow, he was number seven. This could have gone down the line, you know, just like some eighty year old man, and he's bleeding. And I mean, you go. I mean, I don't know. I just didn't. They didn't go. She, she there was no there was no showing her going off to her job or doing anything. She's wearing a dress. She's well, in was, disguise. She's that was the cover. whole. That was the whole thing. I really would. I I would love to see a Bourne film that follows a a. a a woman agent. Maybe her story, all the way up until she dies in the train. And we know she dies. <laughs> her story ends. That's, right. all you, that's yeah. how it ends, is just you see a train. Uh, okay, all right. So, um... Yeah. Kind of gold watch. You know what I think? They, you know, I think they missed a, a, they missed a big moment in this film when the big reveal happens that Aaron Cross is alive when they realize that. And yeah. uh, they realize that, oh, it's him on the plane with her. They they missed a big moment when when uh, when Edward Norton could have said before before or after he kicked the support staff out he could have said number five is alive. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, I could smell so that we, coming a so mile we waited, away. We yeah, waited I had to, to finish. It that didn't cut out for that one. I know. <laughs> Why? Why did it not cut out for that? That was awesome. Oh, All right, so bet. what are you guys? Uh, what are you guys excited to see next? Uh, that's uh, coming out for the remainder of the summer. What are you looking forward to? The uh, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas looks awesome. I don't think that's a summer movie. That's Whatever. De- is that December? That's what <laughs> Whatever. Shut up, Andy. <laughs> Why don't you go get cut off again? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever that thing is coming out, I'm ready for it. That looks okay. uh, that looks fantastic, uh, the Wachowskis. And uh, let's see, uh, Chad, is that the one you're looking for? Oh, yeah. To? Yeah, That's yeah. It? I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Weekend at Bernie's 3 might be coming out, <laughs> I think. And I'm really looking forward to that humor. <laughs> Andy? With Morgan, Fre- with Morgan Freeman. With Morgan Freeman is the As the narrator. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Andy, what did we talked a little bit about this? What, what are the next? Uh, what are the remaining summer films? We've got the words. Well, uh, well, coming up, the rest of August is The Expendables Two, Paranorman, Sparkle, Whitney Houston's mm. final film, The Odd Life of Timothy Green, Cosmopolis, uh, Robot, and Frank, which actually I think looks amazing, and I cannot yeah. wait to see that one. I think Robot and Frank and Cosmopolis are my uh, are high on my list. You're interested in Cosmopolis? I, I am. I am. Mm, what's Cosmopolis? I would, I would see the it the longest only because... limo ride ever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I would see it because it's David Cronenberg. Although I'm not hearing good reviews. I it's just sketchy with uh, Cronenberg, but that's why I'm going to see it too. I, I like it. There, there, a lot of the Bergs. I'm a big fan of the Soderberg and the Cronenberg and the Spielberg. I, I tend to see all of the Bergs. Hmm. Do you, do you live in a burg? You have no it's idea. Very, very Jewish. It's actually called a suburb. <laughs> suburb. Uh, so awesome. I'm very interested in that one. Uh, but um, uh, absolutely, Cloud Atlas and uh, yeah, I guess that's I guess that's it immediately uh, for for August. Uh, and then summer is over, and we're into uh, holidays. What are you say, Jack? Well, are, are we going to try to do... Are we skipping uh, fall entirely? Yeah. We're skipping fall. <laughs> straight, straight, straight from August to, to December. Then, Don't then even worry about... <laughs> I, I like to move straight September. after Arbor Day. <laughs> I'm a big tree person. You really are. Okay, wait, no, what just about like the, Timothy Green. <laughs> what about The Hobbit? I was going to just say that. 
The mm, Hobbit looks man. like it's going to be really cool. I know that's December. You know, are you guys interested at all in the whole uh, frame rate debate on The Hobbit? What does that he, mean? I'm interested into what you have to say. I'm fascinated by it. What do you mean the frame rate? The 48 frames per second. Oh, is that good? I, I had read somewhere that that's just because of how they do it in 3D. Well, I, you know, I think it was a, it, the, the way I understand it is, you know, most of the, the and Andy is, should probably be the one talking about this. Agreed. Because he knows how, how talkies work. Yeah. Uh, but, but the way I understand it was the challenge that, uh, that these guys who do a lot of 3D uh, are seeing is that as soon as you apply 3D to your film, it gets darker. The film gets darker. And one of the things that they found is that when you double the frame rate, you end up with a sharper, clearer picture in 3D. So if you're shooting in 3D, you up it to 48 frames per second, and you end up with a, uh, with a sharper, clearer picture. And when you, when you go to the, uh, you know, to the movie house, you're, you, you, know, you have, a, uh, you have a, what they perceive as a better image. But then he takes this film. Andy's just gone. He just got pissed off. He just left. left. So he took, the, he took a clip to Comic-Con and, uh, and played it, and the audiences didn't like it. They said it was too real. It looked more like video. It looked more like a soap opera. Yeah. Do you ever watch anything on the BBC? It's all, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 you, you watch like movies or shows on the BBC, and it's that same, it feels like it's real, real time. It's that hyper-real, yeah. especially on a large television. You know, you end up, you end up feeling like you're in the room with them. And, but, and that is, uh, yeah, Andy just texted me, the internet just died at my house. <laughs> so, well, it was Andy may, for may air. be gone for the night. So we'll it was gasping for air and wheezing for and the last did. hour, and now oh, it's okay, finally just back. expired. <laughs> Well, so the uh, the real issue is uh, that that the the audiences didn't like it. They didn't like the uh, the hyper real feel of it and reacted negatively. Got some bad press, and Already. he came back and said, "You know what? I, I I probably showed it to you prematurely. When you actually see it finished, when you see the finished effects, you're going to love it. It's great." Well, now he's backpedaled even more, and he said, "You know what? We're actually going to down res." Oh, the uh, the frame rate before we go into wide release for this film, there will be a limited release of the original resolution uh, frame rate of this film, but not every market will get it. So there is, is a it? chance you won't see it in in the frame because many theaters, uh, the projection equipment ends up having to be uh, upgraded uh, in order to do um, in order to to deliver this film, and so that's that has become a challenge. And I, I'm. I'm frustrated a little bit by that because I do want to see it in, in the higher frame rate. And, and, uh, you I'm do want to see it at 48 ram, frames. I do. You yeah, very much. Very much so. Said, even though they said that it didn't turn out. I Did think all watch? those, I think they're all purist hippies who are responding to that. And I think they, I think they. Go on. I don't even Go know. On. That's not a thing. You're not, that's not even a thing. I, I, want to I just made just three words you, together. If it's a thing for you, then it's a thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> I I but, think that uh, I think people need to give it a shot. I mean, this is the this is for, to me it's the shift from standard def to HD and and uh, did the people I, at Comic Con watch it with three D glasses on? I don't believe so. Okay, because here's the thing: what they were talking about what? is that they're doing it forty eight frames per second because you get in twenty four frames per second per each eye. So it's not forty eight frames per it is forty eight frames per second for the whole film. But because you're doing it in 3D, each eye gets 24. So if you're watching it, if they, if they basically un-3D'd it and showed it, what you're seeing is 
you know, double frames per second than what you would know, even what you're going to see right. um, in in the 3D version in the theaters. Well, and and what that means is it really is just brightening the image, right? Yes. Even more more, more um, a brighter, crisper uh, 3D experience. Right. Hmm. Which is fine. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's something about the. It's something about when they. Uh, What's that? The interlace it or whatever. The way they do the modern 3D without the red green, they do it with the polarizing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So what what they're effectively doing is you're taking 20 frames per second, and each eye gets 12. So each right. eye gets 12 frames worth of light, which right. is why it seems darker. And so, so the you, 48 ends up giving you the original per eye mm, exactly for each exactly. eye. But but if you were to look at it in un three without the polarized lenses. You'd be seeing what you'd like to see on the BBC or something. Yeah. It'd be like real time, and it would give you, um, you know, it's uneasy if you're expecting a film and you see like TV, like a newscast, you know, type of type of framework. You know, it's it's it, the thing that gets me is that at this point where they are with, for the Hobbit, at least part one, the, the unexpected journey, is that they're in order to deliver this movie down resed so that people don't freak out. Uh, they actually have to. It's a fairly complicated process because it's not just dropping every other frame. It's dropping every other frame and then adding an artificial motion blur uh, to each frame, to the interstitial between each frame, in order to make it look like it was originally processed in in three in uh, twenty four frames. So, you know, I, I saw the video blog for the you know Peter Jackson's production company talked about filming in three D and how very complicated it is and very expensive it is to film in three D. Because they have to, they had to film it with two separate cameras. That one of them was shooting forward, one of them was shooting through a mirror, and it was pulled back a little bit so that both of them were, were eventually filming the same through the same image. And mm-hmm. it was all this complex rigging and all the stuff they had to do to make it. So it's it's like it's like it's almost uh, depressing that now they have to go through all this process and all this effort to undo it. Yeah, when, when and, and expense. I mean, this is yeah. a, it's not a free, easy process that's done at final render. I mean, it's a. I think it's a big deal, uh, and so. Uh, I I think if if you're watching it 2D, and they just leave it thir- 48 frames per second, it might be a little disconcerting. I I, I think if it's 3D, I think it, you know I, I I almost I almost have to say trust the guy. I mean, it's we all kind of like what he does. Totally, my, that's totally my take on it. And if he if he does it, then you know, at least give the first movie a shot, and and then tell him to fix the second, third one, or something like that. It's a little depressing. Yeah. So, Pete, you yeah. want to see it in three D? Yeah. And you're thinking that they're not going to show it. No, no, no. They'll show it in three D. They'll just show it at the original twenty four frames. Original twenty four, and you're just and you're thinking that. Or at be... the the standard twenty four, so people oh, don't okay. freak out. I think it, you well, know, it's going to be fine. Yeah, movie theaters are always complaining about when movie uh, producers and directors and companies do these sorts of things because they're the ones. Uh-huh. That never get the jelly sandwich <laughs> at the end of the day. You have to pay for all the upgrade. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sandpaper. Well, and that's to that point. So there. <laughs> that's that's why, you know, when you hear James Cameron and uh, Peter Frampton. And Willy Wonka. What's his name? Peter. 
O'Toole. Yeah, right. Hammersmith, Peter, Jackson. Right. Uh, <laughs> they, when you hear these guys, they're saying, you know, what they're saying as the, as the filmmakers is that this is the future. This is the future mm -hmm. frame rate. Get ready for it. We're going to 4K. We're going to 8K. We're going to 48 frames. This is, this is it. And so, you know what, Cinemark, you know what? You're just going to have to upgrade your theaters. This is just the way it is. And we, I, I really believe that we need these guys to push the, the delivery forward. And that's, that's the, the market answer to, mm -hmm. to this problem. And, I, and that's why it frustrates me that, that Peter Jackson is, has, in a way, I, I, I get the feeling that he sort of caved to industry a little bit. And I think that's, uh, that's unfortunate. So, Peter, what you're saying is popcorn is going to cost more? It's, that's, it's that is money. the problem. But it will be kettle corn in more theaters. Hey, kettle corn's uh, good. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, you can't yeah. be sure about that. I have that. I have right that now. here. Well, yes. not right now, but that's right. It's, you should come back, and we could go eat kettle corn. We don't even have to go to a movie. We don't. We don't have to have a reason. We don't even. We could just go and say, you know, I here's. I don't have a ticket. I would just like some popcorn. And I'll we also popcorn. have kettle corn. You're not the only people with kettle corn. We have kettle corn. <laughs> we have three three flavors. I don't have three flavors. Yeah, we got the original right. kettle corn. We got the cheddar cheese, and we got the caramel. Mm -hmm. and, and we have the fried scorpion and, kind. And. and no, 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 no. You this don't have fried part. scorpion. You're just making stuff up. No, now. no this is the best part. I can, I, can, I can get guys, a tub with all three flavors in it. You cannot. Oh, you're, yeah. You're a fabulous. Oh, yeah. You are a fabulous, <laughs> Mike. Okay, here, here's what I feel all about right. this whole on-the-air thing today. Is I, I, you guys got to tell me that we're going to talk about stuff I have no information about. So I can, well, like, kettle corn? Go, yeah. Like, we, we, should we? I need to end the broadcast. The, the only, the only then thing we, then you yeah, yeah, okay. Right. Yes. Hang on. You stay oh, do right you want to do like are. a thumbs up, like where, where we like the movie? Yeah. Okay. Let's do the thumb thing. Yeah. So you like the movie? Everybody like the movie? Do we have to yeah. count? Yeah. Okay. I'll give it a... Uh, I still... I, yeah. I mean... Yeah. Give it a right in my ear. I'm it's, a seven. I'm a seven. Um, it's good. Chad, yeah. where's your thumb? Get your finger. Yeah, right. Out. Where's my thumb? <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on it for an hour and a half. No thumb. All right. Uh... I, I think uh, I think it's a good film. Uh, let's talk. No, it was okay. It was it's probably like there. Oh, oh, half down. Chad, if it was about so... just everything around it, I'd be going like maybe there. That's dark, man. Yeah. Very dark today. I uh, I think it's great. Uh, Mike Evans, where would you like people to find you? Do you tweet? Are you tweeting? Uh, no. Uh, then I'm just in my chair. Pretty much fine here. Come back here if you want to find Mike Evans. He'll be mm -hmm. right here on uh, the next uh, uh, the next film board. And, so next and, time I'll try to get somewhere to be. That's great. Chad Stoops, uh, where can people find you, my friend? Uh, ChadStoops.com. I'm actually going to be next week. Um, for those of you that are in town on August 22nd. What, that, what town? that town would be L.A. Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> that town would be L.A. Thank you. Um, I'll give the address and stuff for those who are around, but there's going to be a live taping of a <laughs> pilot show, a pilot series that I'm going to be maybe in. So uh, a pilot called, yeah. Anyway, well, I'll, so, I'll give you the information. Ooh, All right, so ooh, it's but it'll be on your site at chadstoops.com. Correct. It's called Sentenced for Life, and so I'll give you a. It's a comedy TV show pilot. It's a comedy about the Green Mile. It's a. <laughs> Think Shawshank Redemption, but funnier. <laughs> but funnier. funnier. <laughs> and longer. That's fantastic, man. Congratulations. I look forward to Thank uh, you. checking that out. I might have to just... When is it again? What's the date? August 22nd. Oh, okay. All right. You're not going to be around? What? No, but the week after I will. We need to talk. 
Uh, are you I'm really? coming. I'm coming down there. Yeah, I'm it's excited. About time. About Papa yeah. Peter came down. Yeah. Andy Nelson, uh, please. Where can people? Where? What are your digits? <clears throat> At Soda Creek Film, Facebook Soda Creek Film. Wow. Nice. <laughs> That's the best thing you said all night. <laughs> Andy's gotten good at the handoff. All right, and uh, you can find us all at uh, rashpixel.tv slash movies we like, or slash MWL. I am at Pete Wright uh, on the Twitter. And uh, if you want just show updates about when all the Rash Pixel shows, you can follow just at Rashpixel uh, on the Twitter, and updates go out when shows go live. So uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. It's been a little bit on the long side. I'm sorry it was uh, Mike's fault. Uh, Andy yeah. did his best to keep it short. <laughs> I, I tried cutting myself off as often <laughs> as I could. <laughs> and we'll catch you next time on uh, the Film Board Fan Chat. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.